0: Hey, it's good to see you this morning. I'm glad to, to be able to bring the message to you this morning and uh, to be able to continue a series we've been doing about our home away from home and how, how our, our lives, and in our lives there are different things that happen in our lives and we kind of get settled and, and we kind of call that thing of life our home. A lot of times it's not necessarily a house that you live in but it's just the idea of, of our lifestyle and who we are and what we do and our families and our work and the whole thing of how God is using us, we kind of refer that to, that's, that's, that's our home, it's, that's who we identify with as, as being us. And uh, so I can, I'm going to continue that with you this morning. I'm going to talk to you this morning uh, about a character that, uh, that I've talked about before, and uh, hopefully you may know a little something about him, but we're going to talk a little bit about Moses again this morning and how uh, God used him and some things that were going on in his life. So if you have a Bible, go ahead and turn to the book of Exodus. That's the second book in the Old Testament, Genesis, Exodus, and we're going to be looking at several scriptures there in just a moment, and you can uh, get there and, and be ready to look at Exodus 2 and here in just a few minutes, but I just want to uh, kind of tell you some things. I'm going to, I'm going to tell, you, tell you a lot of the background, but if you haven't ever read the story, go back and read all of this, because I'm kind of just hitting some of the highlights to make sure that you're just up to speed with some of the main things that I want to talk to, but it's, it's hard to talk about the main things without making sure that you've got a little bit of understanding if you haven't ever read the story of, of what happened with Moses from from birth up until some of the things that we're going to be talking about. But um, uh, if you remember, last week Cliff kind of left us with Joseph and the idea that uh, basically I think one of the things Cliff said was that Joseph was literally like the second most powerful person probably in the world at the time that we left him in that story because of what had happened in his life and how God was with him and the things that had happened. He was now second with, with the Pharaoh in charge of all the land and, and everything other than Pharaoh. He was, he was the person who was in, in charge. So, uh, But since that time, uh, there's been some time has passed and some things have changed. And uh, we won't, I won't look at this What I'll tell you, but it starts in chapter 1 and it talks about how now, uh, in this period of time, Joseph and all of his descendants are dead. So that that generation is gone. All of the things that we, we thought about and heard about Joseph, uh, he's out of the picture. There's a new Pharaoh. The Pharaoh has died. There's a new Pharaoh in charge of everything. And this Pharaoh doesn't know about Joseph. He's not buddy-buddies with Joseph. They've all died, and this is a new... A lot of time has passed, and this is a new Pharaoh. He doesn't know Joseph. And this Pharaoh is really afraid because the Israelites in this period of time that's passed, they've really multiplied. You know, people say there's one commandment in the Bible that we've really only obeyed, and that's be fruitful and multiply, right? The Hebrews did this, and they were they were still captives in Egypt, they were still slaves in Egypt, but they, their families increased in a large way. And this Pharaoh was afraid because he got to looking out and saying, man, there's, there's just a lot of people here. What's going to happen if... They decide to go against us. They may even pair up with our enemies, and we're going to be in big trouble if these people keep getting more and more and more, and they're going to outnumber us, and it's going to be a problem. So what Pharaoh decided to do was to tell the midwives who would help the Hebrew women give birth, he told them, he said, listen, when you go in to help them give birth, if it is a boy, make sure you kill it. Well, the midwives kind of said, okay, but the Scripture says they feared God, and when it came time to do it, they really didn't do it. And then they told Pharaoh a lie and said, well, these, these Hebrew women, they're just a lot tougher than, than these Egyptian women, and by the time they go in labor, by the time we get there, the baby's already there, and we couldn't do anything with it. So Pharaoh was kind of okay with that, and then he devises his own plan and says, okay, listen, this is what we're going to do. Any male child that's born to the Hebrew Hebrews, the order is that you take the child you throw him in the Nile River. He wanted the male kids to be gone because that would help uh, cut out on the population increase. And then keep the girls, throw all the male child, children uh, in the Nile. So that's kind of where we pick up in chapter 2, verses 1 through 5. And this is, this is kind of the birth of Moses and, and what was going on and, and what had happened before then. Chapter 2, verses 1 through 5. It says, now a man of the house of Levi married a Levite woman and she became pregnant and gave birth to a son. When she saw that he was a fine child, she hid him for three months. But when she could hide him no longer, she got a papyrus basket for him and coated it with tar and pitch. Just a side note, real quick if you've ever, if you want to do a word study, if you've never done a word study on that tar and pitch, it's a symbol of salvation. Go back and look. That's what they put on the ark when God closed the, when they were sealing things up. They put that on the ark. But if you ever want to do an interesting word study, you can go back and look at the, the tar and pitch. That's pretty interesting. Um, so anyway, they put a tar and pitch. Then she placed the child in it and put it among the reeds along the bank of the Nile. His sister stood at a distance to see what would happen to him. Then Pharaoh's daughter went to the Nile to bathe, and her attendants were walking along the river reeds and sent her slave girl to get it. They, 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 saw, they saw Moses there and sent to get it. So, let me kind of continue on with the story. I won't, won't read the rest of it, but you can read it. But here's kind, of, here's kind of what happens. So Pharaoh's daughter's there. She's getting ready to take a bath. she so got all of her attendants, and she sees this basket and says, Hey, somebody go get that. And they bring the basket over to her, and it's a baby. It's a Hebrew baby. So, Moses' sister happened to have been along. Moses' sister goes over, and and Pharaoh's daughter talks to her and says, why don't you go back and find a Hebrew woman to come and nurse this child? Because he was three months old, right? She kept him for three months, and then she put him in the river. How convenient, wasn't it, that God allowed that to happen? So, Moses' sister goes back and gets Moses' mother, and she comes back, and Pharaoh's daughter pays Moses' mother to to take care of this child, to feed him and to take care of him until he gets older. Isn't that that kind of neat? So she she puts him away, the child ends up coming back to him, and she gets to take care of him for a little while. Now, look in verse 10 of chapter 2. It says, When the child grew older, she took him to Pharaoh's daughter, and he became her son. She named him Moses, saying, I drew him out of the water. Now, just as kind of a side note, can you you imagine mothers? You have this baby, and you you, you keep him for three months, and that's as long as you can keep him before it becomes obvious that you've got a male child, and if anybody finds out, they're coming to kill him. So then she sends him away. She gets him back for I don't know how long a period of time, but it says just when he's older. So I imagine it's probably until he was weaned and and up and about a little bit to be able to, to go back. Then she has to take him back and give him to Pharaoh's daughter. The Scripture says, and it becomes her son, Pharaoh's daughter. And this is interesting, too. And then Pharaoh's daughter is the one who gives him a name. It wasn't his mother. Pharaoh's daughter names Moses. Now, I kind of chuckled at that because, I don't know, I'm guessing, I, I haven't been able to find, but, you know, he's at least three months old when he was put in the water. I don't know. He's probably at least a couple years old at this time, I would say. So this child has gone without a name for at least probably a couple of years. Any of you ever have a problem naming your child? You know, you flip through all the name books... But it didn't happen. and So don't feel bad if the child was born and a couple of days went by before you put it on the certificate. Moses probably went a couple of years before he was named. We were on the way to the hospital before we named our first child. We had talked, but Shelley's in labor, and we're going 90 miles an hour down the interstate trying to get to the hospital. Okay, what's the name going to be? What's the name going to be? So then, then we decided. So don't feel bad if you waited a little bit. Moses had to probably at least a couple of years before he was named. But to, to look at what was happening as she does the, as she did that, she took him back. And then here's kind of how some of the rest of the story goes. Then Moses, is, he's now, he's a Hebrew, but he's raised in the Egyptian home. He's raised by the daughter of the person who's in charge of the whole land. He's the king, he's the head honcho, he's the big dog, right? And she's the daughter of Pharaoh. And now she's raising Moses, a Hebrew child, in the egyptian culture she's raising him as an egyptian and he just grows he grows up in, into that life so so basically he he's he's the prince you know you've seen the movie right prince of egypt he's kind of living like a prince he's the the, the um the his daughter uh, grows up as a child of the king as she raises moses as a child of the king so he's got the best of the best the world literally is at his fingertips as as a son of Pharaoh. He's got anything he wants and everything he needs, and that's kind of the, the way that, that he grows up. then, something happens. Something happens that takes all of it away. Something happens that takes this little home that he knew of, all of his lifestyle, all of the comforts, all of the luxuries, all of the things of growing up in that culture, all of the things of being brought up in the house and in that era of the king of Egypt. All of the things that he had in one instance were taken away from him and his home was wrecked. Look at the scripture and we'll read that. It's chapter 2, verses 11 through 15. One day after Moses, Moses had grown up, so this is a bunch of years later. I don't know how old he was, but it's a bunch of years later. He's grown up. He's a big, strong man at this point. He went out to where his own people were and watched them at hard labor. Remember, all the Hebrews now, they're, they're captive, they're uh, from the Egyptians and they're working them, they're slaves. He saw an Egyptian beating a Hebrew, one of his own people. Glancing this way and that, and seeing no one, he killed the Egyptian and hid him in the sand. The next day, he went out and saw two Hebrews fighting. He asked the one in the wrong, why are you hitting your fellow Hebrew? The man said, who made you ruler and judge over us? A little resentment maybe there from the little uh, golden child who grew up in the Hebrew in the Egyptian culture. Are you thinking of killing me as you killed the Egyptian? Then Moses was afraid and thought, what I did must have become known. And then Pharaoh heard of this. He tried to kill Moses, but Moses fled from Pharaoh and went to live in Midian where he sat down by a well. Now, you're talking about the difference between night and day. Here was this guy who was in this culture and he was large and in charge and he had everything he wanted and just the the golden child, anything he wanted. And in one instance, he went from going from that kind of lifestyle to running away and sitting down by a well where the common folk would come to get water in a place, best I could tell in doing a little bit of research, Midian was probably at least 400 miles away from where he was. This wasn't just like he went across the street and sat down on a well. This was a, you know, it, we go to Kentucky and it's a little over 400 miles and it takes us about eight hours or so sometimes to drive that going 75 miles an hour. Sometimes, not all the time. Only when the speed limit allows you to do that. It's really only 70 in some places, but I usually fudge just a little bit, right? So imagine, I don't. how long did it take him to even get there? But he he ran away. And we're not told of all the things he has to deal with between egypt and midian when he finally got there we're not told about the places that he had to sleep and the nights that he spent alone and we're not told about his journey between egypt and midian but just imagine going from that kind of lifestyle with the egyptians to now you're by yourself you have nobody with you you have nothing with you and now you're sitting down by a well where the common people come uh, and draw their water to drink when normally he probably would have had water brought to him to be able to drink now that is just a stark contrast of his lifestyle but think about this last week when we talked about joseph and some of you a lot of you probably identified with that what we talked about with joseph was that you know his life his home got wrecked his life got messed up but it was circumstances that were beyond his control it wasn't his fault his dad favored him and gave him the the pretty coat where people could make fun of him. It wasn't his fault that his brothers hated him and wanted to kill him, and then they sold him as a slave. and then All of the things that happened to Joseph, there was a lot of circumstances that happened that were beyond his control. But God was right there with him. God stayed with him the whole time. And here's the question that I want you to think about today. Moses' home was wrecked not because of circumstances beyond his control. His life got messed up directly because of stupid stuff that he did on his own. And what I want you to think about this morning is this. When we mess up our own lives, when we make stupid choices and do things that are against God and we live against God and it wrecks our home and messes us up, is there still hope for us when it's our fault? So we're going to look at some other scripture and look at some of the things that happened with him. Look at... uh, at, um, well, in just a minute, we'll get to Exodus. Let me, let me tell you a little bit more of the story. So now Moses is in Midian. You have to go back and read this, chapter 3. Moses is in Midian. He ends up finding a woman at the well. He takes care of her. People try to be rude to her, and he protects her. And he goes back, and the dad wants him to come back to the house and have supper. Anyway, he ends up getting married having a family and living in Midian and becoming a shepherd for his father-in-law, Jethro. So he went from being a prince to a shepherd. Now, you know, we sometimes we think, oh, man, yeah, a shepherd. Yes, a shepherd. You know, sh- shepherd shepherd was down on the low end of the totem pole as far as occupational stuff to do, right? It was like, you know, I can't do anything else. I think I'll... I'll herd some sheep. Maybe I can keep up with him. So now he's living in, the, in this area of Midian. He's, he's, he's married. He's working for his father-in-law. He's not the prince of the person who's in charge anymore. Now he's one of the hands that's working for the person who's in charge of the farm and all the land in the area. And he's there. And then he has another experience. He has an experience with the burning bush. This is not on screen, but I, I want to read it to you real quick, and you may know about, about this. But Moses is walking through the, through the desert. He's with his sheep, with his flock, minding his own business, doing his job, doing what he's supposed to. do. All of a sudden, he sees this bush over there, and it, it's, it's, it looks like it's on fire and it's burning, but it's not going anywhere. It's st- still there. It doesn't burn up. It doesn't go away, so he walks over to it. And God speaks to him through this. Now, I don't know how many other times God had spoken to Moses between when he left and now. We're not told of what the conversations that God and Moses had. But this is the first recorded time that God speaks to Moses uh, since, since this has happened. And in, verse, uh, in chapter 3, verses 9 and 10, you can maybe mark those down or just go back and read the whole chapter. But God speaks to them and basically he says this. Verse 9, And now the cry of the Israelites has reached me, and I have seen the way the Egyptians are oppressing them. Now, uh, So now go, I am sending you to Pharaoh to bring my people, the Israelites, out of Egypt. The Egyptians were continuing to oppress the Hebrew people. They were crying out to God, and all this time that Moses was away, that it was getting worse for them. It was, getting, it was getting harder and harder and harder, and they were crying out. God says, I finally heard them. He talks to Moses at the burning bush. He says, Moses, I've heard them. And he tells him, he says, guess what? I'm going to help them, but I'm sending you. And, that, and some of the most hilarious stuff that I've ever found in the Bible is in the stuff that follows. And you can go back and read it. But Moses begins to make all these lame excuses about why God shouldn't use him. And I can't talk. And what if they don't believe me? And who am I to go with? You know, and God, so he just, God spends a lot of time with him and, and kind of gets frustrated with him at, at one point but after a lot of persuasion from God and Moses trying to back up and get out of the responsibility of doing it Moses finally decides to accept God's plan for him to be the one to be, to be the one to lead the Egyptians, the uh, Hebrews out of the slavery to the Egyptians and in chapter 4 verses 19 and 20 this is what it says Now the Lord had said to Moses in Midian go back to Egypt And listen to this next part because it's important. For all the men who wanted to kill you are dead. So Moses took his wife and sons and put them on a donkey and started back to Egypt, and he took the staff of God in his hand. You can go back and read about the staff and what God was planning on, on doing with that. But think about this. A lot of time has passed. How ironic. Moses fled this very place in Egypt because he had murdered somebody and was afraid for his life. Now, God speaks to him all these years later, and he's sending him right back to the very place that he started to run from. Has that ever happened in your life? Has God ever dealt with you, and, and you, you started at one point, and you run and you're, you're making excuses, and I'm not going to do it, and I'm going here, and I'm, no, God, no, God, no, God. And it comes around, and, and God just kind of brings you full circle, and you find yourself right where you started before you started all the running. That's what he did with Moses. just took him and placed him right back in the very place that he had started uh, with, his, with his actions. And here's the question that you may ask, and it's the question that, I, that I've asked. How in the world could God use a murderer... To serve him. Moses killed somebody. I mean, really killed somebody. Not just a story. That sounds good. There was a life that was taken. And it was because of, by the hands of Moses. He killed a person. Took the life of a person that God had created. And covered it up and hid it. And ran away. That's not, I don't know about you. That's, you, that's not the top of the list of people that i would put on it who who do you think god would use um maybe a murderer who's killed somebody who's run off and hide and lies about it all the time i think god probably would choose somebody like that that's that in our thinking that's not the kind of people that we think god uses is it but but god still had a plan for moses's life and here's the thing that i think we have to realize is that this god makes the choice of who he will use For his service. That's important. You might just take a a big gulp and swallow that. Right? God is the one who makes the choice. Of who he'll use for his service. And I'm not trying to make light of our actions. And I'm not trying to say that. We don't have responsibilities or consequences. I'll talk more about that in just a minute. That we don't have responsibilities or consequences for our actions. But here's the thing that, that I think happens with us. We often act as if God's choice to use us is somehow based on what we do. We often just think that God's choice to use us, well, God God must be wanting me to do this because, you know, I, I go to church all the time. Surely, you know, the reason that God wants to use me to do this is because I have a long, quiet time. And I know God's impressed with that right? Don't we think that way? We, we kind of think, well, well God, you know, God's going to use me if I, can, if I can just build up all my good deeds, if I can just show God that, oh, I can, oh man, look, I've got, I got a little space. I've got a little margin here. I've got a lot of deeds. I can do a couple of bad things, and I can fall down and still be up on the top of the list. Surely God would use me because of my, my actions and all the things that I do. That's often the way we, we think, and we think that somehow it has something to do with us, we think that somehow God is looking and saying, okay, now, who goes to church the most? You know, who's really listening when Cliff's preaching? And is that person who says they're taking notes on their iPod really texting somebody? Right? Okay. That's kind of, that's kind of what we think. But, but God doesn't use human standards when it, when it comes to what He wants to do. God doesn't use human reasoning. And so, again, here's kind of what we would do. What we would assume is, okay, I've got two different people. This person over here goes to church three times a month, reads their Bible twice a week, and every now and then has prayer at the family dinner table. This person here goes to church every time the doors open, reads their Bible every morning, and always has prayer even at family gatherings. Oh, hey, this is the person God will use. They're just so holy and righteous, right? Oh, if I could just be like them. I'm trying to build myself up where I can pray 22 minutes a day instead of five minutes a day, right? Don't we kind of think that? But here's 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 the flip side of that. This is what we also do. And this is what I, where I want to focus this morning. A lot of times what we do is this. You know what? i made a lot of mistakes. You don't know what I've done. Murder is bad, but if you would put all the things together, at least Moses, maybe, uh, best we can tell, he murdered somebody, and then from then on, he was pretty good, probably. But you don't know what I've done. I've done. I've done this, and I've done this, and I keep doing this, and just last night, I did this. And what happens is, we think, good or bad, that somehow, what we do filters through God's mind as to whether He wants to use us or not. And we disqualify ourselves. What we say is, God can never use anybody like me. You, you don't you don't know. I've, ha- I've had people tell me, you probably have too, they've said, you just don't know what I've done. No, you really don't know. Like, you know, you're the preacher. You've always lived a perfect life. You wouldn't have any understanding of living a sinful life. And I said, well, you're you're right, but uh, you know humor me. Tell me you know, tell me a few things. Of course I probably would know, you know. and we disqualify ourselves. We we convince ourselves that God's disgusted with us. We convince ourselves that God could never use anybody like us. You you just don't know what I've done. God could never use somebody like us. Like me. And so we kind of go through that. And we think that it has to do with our actions or the things that we're doing. Now listen to this. And this is important. Because I'm not saying that God turns his head to sin. I'm not making light of it at all. So I'm not saying that, that God turns his head when we mess up our lives. And, and, and he pretends like he doesn't see. And oh it's okay. Everything's going to be fine. I'm not saying that. I'm not saying that we won't reap circumstances because of what we do. I'm not saying that when you do something. And we've talked about that a lot. We reap what we sow. So I'm not saying that you, you can just do whatever you want to. And it doesn't matter. God's still going to use you. You'll never suffer any consequences of your sin. I'm not saying that. Because that goes against what the Bible says. And so I'm, I'm not saying that. I'm, I'm not saying that because of our actions. That even our service to God won't somehow be interrupted or delayed. Now. I don't know exactly what went on, but if you look at the time between Moses ran away from Egypt, went to Midian, by the time he'd come back, and when God spoke to him at the burning bush, there was probably a period of about 40 years that had transpired. So it wasn't like Moses killed somebody one day, and the next day God's got him on the top of the list of people that I want to use for my kingdom. I believe, personally, that it took that amount of time for God to restore Moses and to prepare him for what he wanted him to do. So I'm not saying that they're not consequences. But what I am saying is this, and this is important, you have to understand this. You are not automatically disqualified from God's grace or His service just because you wrecked your home because of stupid choices that you've made. That does not automatically put you on God's black list. That does not automatically make God say, that's it, I'm done with them. I could never have anything else to do with them. They're tainted people. They're ruined people. I could never use them in my service because of what they have done you have to hear that this morning because i would venture to say there's probably not a one of us here that somehow that doesn't go through our mind we're on the top of the world maybe you're on a spiritual high and you got a good thing going you're reading your bible and you're having a quiet time and you you're trying to control all your attitudes and your actions and everything's going good and you're feeling like god just loves you so much because you're being so good How funny is that? You're just, God loves you because you're just being so good. And then all of a sudden you mess up and all of a sudden, oh, God hates me. (sighs) You've been there? It's like, (laughs) yeah, thanks, Mark. (laughs) One person here, that's not not lying, I'm just kidding. I've got a little small child at my house and I just get so tickled sometimes because he gets so excited about things sometimes. And when he gets excited, he kind of... You know, does this? And sometimes he'll ask for something, and he's waiting for the answer. And the dad can, can we go? Oh, we don't want. To, can I go outside and play? And he's all excited. And if the answer is no, he goes from. Yeah, <sighs> you know, have you seen that? That's that's I think what we do with God sometimes. Oh God. I, you're so happy with me. I'm so good. I'm doing everything right. Everybody loves me. I'm not cussing. I'm not doing this. Me and my wife are get along. This is so good. But last night I messed up. God will never use me. And it's Eeyore, right? Oh, bother. It's a horrible day. Right? We do that, don't we? And we think that it somehow it has something to do with us. But, but listen, as that says, don't, don't assume that you're just automatically disqualified. Don't assume that whatever that action is that you've done that has wrecked your own home. You've messed your own life up. It's nobody, You can't blame it on anybody else. It's nobody's fault. Your stupid choice. You did it. That does not automatically disqualify you. And the reason I know that is not only the life of Moses, but... I can just go through the Bible, and I just did these off the top of my head and wrote them down. And there are a bunch more, but there's there's Moses, there's his brother Aaron, who he's a, Moses is up on the mountain getting the commandments from God, and Moses got tired and listened to people gripe, and he got all their jewelry and stuff, and they threw it in they made a golden calf to worship because they couldn't wait for Moses to get down. How stupid was that? God still used him, right? There's David, there's Noah, there's Abraham, liar. Read, read, read Abraham's... No, it's not my wife. No, she's not my wife. Sarah's not my wife. Go back and read that if you don't know what I'm talking about. It's funny. There's Paul, who persecuted Christians. There's Peter, who's just a hothead and probably cussed more than most of us do. Right? He was a sailor, all right? That's where we get the expression, cussing like a sailor. Peter was just a hothead and used some really strong language at times. He, and just, just spout it off. All the disciples, just pick one. Name any of them. I could probably show you something something stupid they did. The woman at the well that Jesus talked with that had five previous husbands and her current shacked-up lover wasn't even married to her, okay? She was still used by God all the husbands that she had. There's plenty of others. I could just go on and on and on. You can read read through the genealogy of Jesus in Matthew chapter 1 and you can pick out some shady characters where their life just wasn't as perfect as we always think that it is with people in the Bible. On and on and on the list can go. And then, then last, and, and most likely least of all, is Donnie Kaufman. I mean, he's not in the Bible, but I've heard <laughs> that he has done some stupid stuff in his past and not only in the past has he done stupid stuff but he continues to disappoint god on a daily basis what i've been told and god still chooses to use him listen if god can still use all those people that i mentioned and especially me there is hope for you i don't care what you've done it doesn't matter what you've done. I mean, it matters, but it doesn't just automatically disqualify you from God's service. There is hope for you if you're in that category. I want you to hear that. Because here's the problem, and here's what I think happens. Maybe maybe it's somebody here this morning. You've not ever given your life to Christ. You've heard kind of the message about Jesus, but you've not ever really accepted that love that God has has offered to you because you've said what I said earlier. You just don't know what I've done. I've been too bad. I've been too bad. And just like Moses, because of your actions and your guilt and your insecurities and everything else that you have, you've been running from that for a long time. And that's the most natural thing to do When you're confronted with God's love. If you don't accept it. You just say. Especially if you're of the mindset. You don't know what I've done. You feel so unworthy. You can't believe God would choose to love you. And you just take off running. And you might not go 400 miles away. You might not ever leave your neighborhood. Or your house. But you are running from God's love. Because you don't think you deserve it. And in the most loving kind of way. I want to tell you. It is not about you. It's not about what you've done. It's about what Christ has done on the cross. Right? And here's the good news. You remember when God, the scripture we read, you remember when God told Moses, I want you to go back to Egypt because all the people who wanted to kill you are dead? When Jesus hung on the cross, he killed the penalty of sin for you. You don't have to keep running. You can come back because the the thing that could take your life, the penalty that you should deserve has been taken care of. It's no longer an issue for you. And I challenge you today, if that's where you are, just quit running from it. You've not been too bad. Romans 5.8, you can look it up sometime, write it down. Romans 5.8 says, Yet while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. He knew that ahead of time. It's not like he's surprised. He still chose to go to the cross, still chose to willingly give his life to pay the penalty of sin so that you and I would not have to die eternally. And the Bible says, in order to receive that grace of God and that gift of Jesus Christ, all you need to do is to admit to God that you've sinned, tell Him that you know Jesus has died in your place and paid that penalty, and that you want to believe in Him and and to, to let God just be a part of your life and live in you and take control of your life from here on out. There are no magic words, but you do have to do that in your heart. You have to you have to let God know that. You can't just know about it. You've got to accept it. Otherwise, you're still just kind of running around. So I'm going to challenge you today, if that's where you are, that you just do that. We'll have time in, in a few minutes so as the band comes up. You'll have time to be kind of quiet a little bit and you can just pray that to God and if you do I want to know about it before you leave here's the last thing that I want to say and that's to those of us who have already made that decision to believe in Jesus Christ but like Moses and those people in the Bible I mean, has anybody been perfect since that time of decision has anybody ever just lived at the mountaintop with God and has you've never messed up since that time of your salvation, it's not a matter of you losing the salvation God's given you. It's not a matter that, that God's kicked you up, going to kick you out of heaven. But it's just a matter of you just messed up. You just, you've done some stupid stuff. You might have done some stupid stuff last night. You might have done some stupid stuff this morning. Here's what I think happens. And it's a problem in the church. The church is not what it should be. Because there are men and women, teenagers, maybe children, but I doubt it because they're the only ones who really got it going on and really know what did know about God's grace. They, they understand that a whole bunch more than we adults do and older people. The older you get, the worse it gets, it seems like. But there are people in church, believers in the church, and they've done something stupid at some point in their life, and they have wrecked their own home. They've done something stupid. They've sinned. They, it's, you know, one of, we, we categorize them. They've done one of the big things. You know, I've committed adultery. That's it. It's over for me. You know, I was going along pretty good, and then, boy, I really messed that up. God's done with me. Something else has happened in your life, and what happens in the church is I'm convinced that people sit, and maybe it's you, and they come and they sit every Sunday, but they have this feeling that because I have screwed my own life up, God could never use me again in His service. And so you come and sit and you participate, but you always feel guilty when you leave because you think, oh, I, I wish I could do something for God, but look at what happened. They're always asking for people to serve, but how could I serve? You don't know what I've done. They're always wanting people to be involved. Go on a mission trip. Go on the... I can't do any of that. Look at my life. And I want to tell you that if that has happened in your life, you are disqualifying yourself. God's not disqualifying you. And again, now hear me. Now I'm not saying depending on where you are and how recent things are and what's going on in your life, you might need to be in a time where God is restoring you and preparing you. I'm not talking about... You know, you commit adultery on Saturday night and Sunday morning you're ready to teach the preschoolers. Right? No big deal. Donnie said it didn't matter. No, that's not what I'm saying. But this is what I'm saying. Don't, don't throw yourself out of the loop. Don't throw yourself out of the bucket. Don't throw yourself out to think that God could never use you but He might need some time to go by to restore you and prepare you. But don't take yourself completely out of the loop because there is hope for you. And I don't know how much time needs to pass by and I don't know how things work because I'm not God. And I'm glad I'm not because I can barely manage my own life, right? But I do know, according to the Scripture and the Bible and all the examples, that it does not disqualify you from possibly being used by Him. So I'm not telling you that God's calling you to do something. I'm not telling you that you need to get busy doing something. But here's what I am saying. Would you be open that God actually may be asking you to do something? Would you be open and not use the excuse of, Well, I think that's God, but surely it's not because look at what I've done. And you, just, you tune God out because you've assumed He doesn't want to speak to you anymore. Would you just be open that it really might be Him? That it might be your burning bush experience? It might be the time that God is saying, Okay, now... Now is the time for you. Now is the time that I've been preparing you. I'm ready to use you. And then you'll do like Moses did and you'll make up all those wonderful excuses. y'all. but I can't. and I can't speak. And you don't know me. And what if I don't know who, I, who, I, who you are? And Are you going to give me? God, God will just, He'll just deal with you. He'll do all that. But just don't, don't run from Him. And, and, and listen to Him. Don't disqualify yourself. Listen to this. It's God's choice. Whether he wants to use you or not, trust him that him asking you is the right thing that he wants to do. Trust him. if he's wanting to use you in service to him, trust him that he knows what he's doing. He's not surprised when he asks. He doesn't say, "Oh, um, yeah, I wanted you, oh God, but I forgot, oh oh no, you." Oh, you did that? Oh, well, better throw your resume out of the pile. He's not surprised. So just trust him. Now I'm going to ask you if you would, just uh, close your eyes just a minute. band's going to come up. Not going to make you uncomfortable, I promise. But I do want you to have just a moment, t- two ways that I mentioned. One, if you're not a believer and you're here today, maybe you're in that category of, I've been too bad, there's no way God could really love me, you don't know what I've done. I hope you've heard what's been said this morning. God does love you and He wants you to quit running and He wants you to come to Him and believe in Jesus. And you can just pray a prayer similar to this. God, I know I've sinned. I'm tired of running. Today I accept Jesus for paying the penalty for my sin and I invite Him into my life to take control. If you're a believer, I hope I hope there are some people here where that has hit home today. And you're a believer, and you really feel like maybe God's wanting you to do something, but you have disqualified yourself, and you won't even listen because you don't think you're worthy. Would you just let go of all that right now to God? Just let it go. Apologize to Him for you wanting to take over the human race and be in charge of the universe. Just, just let, him, let Him do that. Let him know that if he is calling you, you are open to whatever it is that he has for your life and just let it go from there. God, you're awesome and it just blows our mind to think that you are the person who created this universe and yet you still consciously choose to want to have a relationship with us. We're disobedient. We don't always get it. Sometimes we have good intentions and a lot of times we never follow through. There's so many ways that we fail. God, you know all that and it just amazes me that you still want to have a relationship with us. I pray today you've spoken to the hearts of the people that have heard this. And that you don't let us go until we respond in the way that you know that we need to. So thank you for that. In Jesus' name. Amen.